Hi ladies, good to see you again. It's been so exciting to watch your family play sessions and your weekly videos in CPRT. I'm really excited for you and excited to be teaching this because I, I just see so much growth and so much improvement and so much more confidence. So I'm happy to be on this road with you. All right, so today moving into session seven and if you remember from last week, Session six and seven were joined to a degree, and I mentioned that session seven content does not match session, session six, but session seven is light, and so it gives you the opportunity to combine the two, and whatever carries over from session six can be conducted this week as well. So as I mentioned, sometimes you will be showing the Cookies, Choices, and Kids video this week. Sometimes you'll be finishing material from session six so however that looks for you, uh, work that out in the way that makes the most sense. And then today, some new content, but it's not as long and it's not as difficult for parents to absorb. So let's look at the rule of thumb. Only one today. And it is never do for a child that which he can do for himself. And this is probably one of the biggest struggles that parents have, especially moms, because moms have that nurturing maternal caregiving instinct and it's very difficult for moms to break out of the well it's just quicker for me to do it it's just easier if I do it I don't have meltdowns and arguments and frustration and tantrums if I just swoop in and fix it and so I think what you probably can focus on explaining as you go over this rule of thumb is connected to all of the other instances where we are helping parents to understand the weight of not using these skills. Because arguably there's nothing wrong with helping your child open a peanut butter jar, or there's nothing wrong with helping your child unscrew something that's really tight, or you know undoing a knot that's really tangled in a shoelace or something like that. So it's not so much doing things for the child that's the problem, it's consistently doing things for the child when they are capable of doing it themselves. And it's difficult for parents to accept that because sometimes parents say, right, but I just don't even think about it. I just, it's a gut reaction. I just go here and I take it and I do it. And unfortunately it robs the child the opportunity to struggle. It robs the child the opportunity to problem solve. It robs the child the opportunity to process frustration to develop perseverance, to do lots and lots of things that long term there is a greater benefit to those things than just being saved in the moment by a mom who makes it easier. So they, in the material, they talk about robbing the child of the joy of discovery. That's another big piece of it. Kids love to figure things out. They love to investigate and watch and absorb and you know just pay attention to things and so that's a struggle that they don't have the opportunity if they don't have the opportunity to work through it then they also don't get the discovery of the solution and the aha moment or whatever you'd like to term that and it does actually help them feel competent when they struggle and when they try to figure things out on their own and then the final line is you don't know what your child's capable of unless you allow them to try and so encourage parents to keep that in mind. You don't know what your child can do unless they're given the opportunity to prove what they can do. And 
you know, I don't know how familiar you, any of you are with self-fulfilling prophecy and or the Pygmalion effect, but in both instances, they have shown again and again and again that if the child is expected to succeed, expected to do well, expected to behave, expected to accomplish whatever the goal is, the child will rise to that level. And of course, conversely, if the child is and maybe it's not even overt. Sometimes it's just an understood implication. Give me that. You won't be able to do that. And it's not that parents will say that, but the message that's communicated when they take it from them and do it for them is, I don't think you're capable of doing that. And so, you know, they don't learn what they're capable of because they're never forced to try. And if you don't learn to try and be okay with failure, be okay with working hard and not giving up and persevering and all of those concepts, you don't necessarily develop that as an adult either. And I think maybe that's where the parents will sit with you on that and kind of let it resonate is what kind of adult do you want to create? Do you want to create an adult that is capable of not giving up and pursuing and persevering and continuing even when it's hard and realizing that they can do it, they just have to figure out a different way. and that kind of thing, or do you want them to be an adult saying, oh, I just can't do this, it's too hard. So that's the message there. And there will be another story that is shared in this training. We haven't gotten there yet, but it's the butterfly story. So I think it will really hit home when you get to the butterfly story. So this is just an introductory rule of thumb. Speaking of this, it just popped into my head literally in this moment. Speaking of this rule of thumb, I was driving my son to school this morning and we have a rule that he has to have finished his breakfast before we turn into the school. And it's about a 20 minute ride to school, so he has plenty of time to eat, but he often will read instead or look out the window or tell us stories or whatever, and then he gets distracted and doesn't eat. And so what would happen is we'd have to pull into the school and not drop him off yet while he was trying to eat in the parking lot. So we made a rule that you have to have your breakfast finished before we turn into the school. So anyway, we turn onto the road that the school is on. So we're not into the parking lot yet, but we are on his school's road. And he says to me this morning, Mom, there's no way I'm going to be able to finish this sandwich. And I said, the rule is that the sandwich needs to be finished by the time we turn in, and you can do it. You can eat fast, and you can stay focused, and you can finish it. And as flat and, I mean, just as, as if he were stating that the sky is blue, he looks at me and says, you're always so positive. <laughs> he said it in that tone too. Like he wasn't feeling positive about it at all. But it was very interesting because I said, you're right, bud, because I believe that you can do it. I, I know that you're capable of finishing that sandwich before we turn to the parking lot. So I'm going to tell you that you can do it because I think that you can. And that is birthed out of this never do for a child that which he can do for himself, but also you don't know what you're capable, your child's capable of until they try. Well, I believe in him and my message that I always convey to him is I know that you can do it. And you know, even when he gets frustrated, he was struggling with something the other day. I want to say something with his backpack. And I said, he says, mom, will you help me with this? And I said, I know that you can do it, bud. I know you're frustrated that it's not working, but I, I trust that you can figure it out. And of course, sometimes that's met with, oh, but he does, he gets it. And it's because I give him the opportunity to struggle. So a long explanation for that rule of thumb, but that just was a very recent experience that I had with that. So, all right, go ahead and flip to the next page. And 
Today we move into esteem building responses. Now, we've sort of, to a degree, referenced these up until this point. And then week eight, we get into praise versus encouragement. So parents will, to a degree, recognize this and understand the concept at a basic level. But this is essentially leading into the praise versus encouragement. But you will notice that a lot of this carries over to next week because some of the encouragement phrases are also esteem building phrases. So you'll see the collaboration there between those two weeks. But what's interesting is this sort of helps them to get their toes wet first before jumping in the pool, I think. And esteem building, the praise versus encouragement is a tough sell. So esteem building, I would argue almost every parent is going to say, yes, of course, I want to communicate to my child that, you know, they need to believe in themselves and, and they're capable and they can build self-esteem and self-worth through these responses. Of course, I'll do it. So if you can get them hooked on this, it will be a little bit easier for them to buy into the praise versus encouragement because encouraging parents not to praise is very difficult sometimes. So that's just a disclaimer moving in as we go. Okay, so... It reiterates the rule of thumb again, you don't need to cover that. So this next paragraph, essentially, you summarize this in any way that you choose, but I'm gonna hit some of the highlights. So it's important for the child to develop a positive sense of self. That's at the root of this entire page. If, if you want them to walk away with one concept, it's that this helps your child develop a healthy view of self. Self-concept, self-worth, self-esteem, self-identity, all of those selves. So you want the parent to fully understand this is why we're doing this here's the why and we go back to be with attitudes right i'm here i hear you i understand i care you're essentially helping them to figure out ways to show love and unconditional acceptance this is one of those ways but it also helps the child so that's kind of from the parent side unconditional love and acceptance from the child side feeling competent, capable, and developing a sense of self. So it's kind of twofold outcome with this. And again, going back to the rule of thumb, the parent has to allow the child to experience what it is like to discover, figure out, and problem solve. And parents show faith in the child to do that. I know that you can do it. I think you can figure it out. I'm sure that you'll be able to get it, etc. And the encouragement of that discovery and of that process is where the esteem building comes in, but then it mentions, we'll cover this in detail session eight for the encouragement versus praise. So that will lead in well. And like I mentioned, allowing the child to struggle is hard. For some, way harder than others. Some parents are very easy and they'll say, oh, whatever, they'll figure it out. And, and it doesn't bother them at all. But a lot of parents really have a hard time with this. So. It's a necessary process though, and that's what they need to hear. And you essentially want them to hear the parent saying they get credit for their ideas, for their effort, for their accomplishments, all the while not praising. Yet again, that goes to next week. So here are some esteem building responses. Note that this is specifically for the play sessions. As they are learning more and more, and as they've gone through this training longer and longer, it's easy to feel like, oh my goodness, I don't know how to, I don't know how to use this practically. There's too much in my brain. I don't, my tongue gets tied. I don't know what to say when. I lose opportunities because my brain's going, should I reflect? Should I track? Should I encourage? Should I give a choice? Should I set a limit? 
So help them feel a little less stressed in saying that this is just for use in the play sessions. Yes, of course, they will end up being able to use these more frequently and in everyday parenting situations later. But for now, their goal is to use these specifically in the play sessions. Of course, inevitably what happens is they end up using it in the bedtime routine one Wednesday afternoon and they feel very competent and proud that they did that. So, but just for their own awareness of when to try and use these new skills, play session only. So there are eight there. I typically go over each one of those with a little bit more detail, an example, you know, so for you did it. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the common one that everyone can remember. So much so that I was actually doing a parent training at a library. I, I was, I guess hired, I don't know, do libraries hire, but I was asked to come in and do some parenting workshops and it was a six week series at two different libraries. And the one mom was potty training her little boy and she said, you know, the only one I can ever think of as soon as he goes to the bathroom on the toilet is you did it, so that's all I ever say. And she joked with me when we kind of followed up that she said now every time he goes to the bathroom, he goes, mommy, I did it. And she said, because that's the only thing I've ever said to him. So you did it is kind of the easiest, most basic esteem building response, encouragement phrase. You did it. And, and parents will be able to say that with ease. So some of the other ones I go into a little bit more detail. So you figured it out. I might say, you know, the child has been working really hard to get the dart into the dart gun the right way so that it will shoot. And it wasn't the first or second time, it was the 10th or 15th attempt. And when they finally do it, I say, you figured it out. So give an example like that, share a personal story from the playroom or from interacting with your own kids so that they kind of get a sense of when you would use these phrases. Okay, so then there are five examples and you will kind of read, well, you can decide. I typically, if it's a group, I have each parent read an example just for some engagement. It's almost like a pattern interrupt. They get so sick of hearing me talk that sometimes I want someone else to talk. So I'll say, Joan, why don't you read example number one? And so then it kind of breaks up the monotony of me. So you, you might wish that I did that with you right now. She's been talking too much. Let, let me read an example myself. So. Nolan, why don't you read example number one? I'm just kidding. So, all right, child works and works to get the lid off the Play-Doh and finally gets it off. So then you kind of dialogue different responses. Now, obviously the one that they offered in the curriculum is you did it, but there are others that would be applicable there as well. So sometimes I'll have each parent offer a thought. What response could you give there? What's a way to build esteem in that moment? So go through each of those examples and the, the note at the bottom is very important. So if your child tends to ask you to do things for him without trying first, it's very interesting to me that when kids walk into the playroom, I have almost without fail one of two types of kids. Early, first session, not you know 15 weeks in, but early on in therapy, I, I tell parents I will get one of two types of kids early on. They will try, they will grab a dart gun and they will try to get it, the dart fit into the gun. And if it does not work, go-to response is, Miss Brenna, will you help me with this? So I'm not even going to try. 
I'm just going to trust that someone else can do it for me and I'm just going to immediately get help. Or I have the child that sets or throws it down and just quietly gives up. There's no acknowledgement about it. It's just, you know, I, I have this, I'm fiddling with it and I can't figure it out until then I just set it down and move on to something else. So, but in both scenarios, it's a lack of self-confidence. It's a lack of trusting themselves to figure the, the solution out. So either way, that will happen. You know, well, and arguably when I said they'll throw it down, sometimes it's, oh, this is stupid. And they chuck it and then they blame the item instead of their lack of ability or their lack of faith in their own ability. So that is something you may need to role play because some parents will have a hard time if the child comes up and says, here, will you do this for me? Without working through that and without talking through that, parents get that deer in headlights look, oh my gosh, I know I'm not supposed to do this for them, but I don't know how to respond. So role play that with them. And I don't know if I wasn't there for your earlier classes during this graduate certificate. So I'm not sure if you all role played that and talked through that where you acknowledge that the child wants your help, but you don't actually offer very much help. So let me just briefly cover that because I don't know if you've heard it or not. So a lot of times kids will come to me and say, Miss Brenna, I can't do this. Will you help me? Or will you open this for me? Or I can't figure out how to get this off or whatever the scenario is. So I always reflect. Always, always, always. That's your go-to. So role play that with your parents. You're not sure how to do that. You're wondering if I could help you. You're frustrated that you can't do it by yourself your whatever. So again, you phrase situation. So however that looks. And then I will say, you'd like my help, but I think that you can do it. So there's the returning of responsibility. Then I typically give the child a choice. Now, this is my process. I don't know that this is specific to CPRT. This is just how I have adapted the don't solve the problem for the child issue. I don't know that it's really been taught anywhere. I'm just speaking from my own experience in the playroom. So I always validate and reflect. Then I tell the child that I think they can do it. And if they still bristle at that or if they still have an issue and they're like, no, I can't, I need you to help me or some other argument like that, then I'll typically say, well, I wonder if you'd like me to hold part of it and you hold part of it. So I have a stamp kit and it's in a little trunk, sort of a little case. And you have to depress the bottom of the case and flip the top up. It doesn't really, you don't look at it and instinctively understand how to open it. And I would argue nine out of 10 of my kids have a hard time getting it open. So in that case, that's a, that's a pretty common, will you help me with this Miss Brenna question in my playroom? So I'll say, I wonder if you'd like to hold the top or the bottom of the case. So then I'm giving them a choice. It's still returning responsibility to them. They have to solve the problem. They have to tell me what needs to happen. So they'll say, I want you to hold the top. Okay, well, I know that the top has to lift up, lift up after the bottom gets depressed. So then I'll say, well, I wonder if you can figure out how to hold the bottom so that I can get the top off. Well, then they'll fiddle with the bottom for a while and almost always they will end up squeezing it to where I can get the lid off. And then my response is always, you figured it out. You did it. 
You knew what to do. You kept trying until you got it. Notice how I don't say we, I don't say I, I don't have any ownership whatsoever. It's still the child figured it out. And yes, I held the top of the box, but arguably all that did is make the child feel that I was helping and I really wasn't doing a whole lot at all. So that would be true for any other scenario and you can role play that with them. So if it's a dart gun, if it's Play-Doh, if it's markers, if it's you know, whatever may happen in the play sessions, you can talk through that with your parents. Okay, so here's the story I mentioned. So this struggle to become a butterfly story, I will just read this straight out because it's a very significant illustration and I'm, I love true stories, I love, you know, movies based on true stories. I love true books. I, to me, when there is fact behind something, it holds more weight. And so for me, I feel like when this story is read, parents will sometimes really connect because they can see the bigger picture and the broad view of why, if you don't do for a child that which he can do for himself, look at what happens when you try to help unnecessarily. So read that. I'm not going to read it with you, but you will read that with your parents. And then the remember note at the bottom, without the struggle, there are no wings. And you can go back to that phrase quite a bit. I will typically do that. And I'll actually quiz them to a degree. I'll say, remember without the struggle in subsequent weeks and then help them to remember, you know, they don't develop their wings if without the struggle. So that is the story to kind of highlight that rule of thumb. Okay, so that is all of the actual new content. So like I said, it's a light week, easier to do. Now, session seven, the next sheet, this positive character quality sheet. Oh my gosh, say that four times fast. Positive character quality sheet. This is for their homework. So it is part of the week's material, but they will use it in their homework. So when you go over homework with them, have them looking at that sheet because that, is what they'll use when they do that this week. So now if you all flip back to the first page, we will go over the homework. So they're going to practice giving at least one esteem building response during the play session, which that was what you encouraged them to do. That's what this sheet says. But then they will also, and obviously if they do it in the session, that's different. Now what the homework assignment is, is outside the session. So here's where they will, just like all of these other new skills, there's always a what happened, what did you say, what did the child say, what was the response. So, excuse me, so there's where they'll fill in what happened this week when I was able to give an esteem building response. So that's homework assignment number one. And homework assignment number two is to write a child to their, oh my write a letter to their child of focus. It's it's the middle of the day. This isn't even like night where I'm tired. I don't know what's going on. So write a note to your child of focus. However, this is something new as well as other children in the family. Other children in the family at this point probably feel to a degree somewhat slighted because this has been focus for this one child, play sessions for this one child, and these other kids are wondering how they don't get to have special play times. So this homework assignment goes for every child in the family. And they're going to point out a positive character trait that they appreciate in the child using this list as a guide. If they come up with a trait that's not on this list, that's no problem. 
but this gives them a pretty good basis from which they can say, you know what, I do believe that my child is intelligent. I'm going to write that down. I think that my other child is generous. I'm going to write that down. So if they want to come up with a different trait, that's fine. I will caution though, sometimes when parents don't use these traits, they use a word that is not a character trait. They say, you know, you, it's more verbose and wordy in other words. So remember, if you can't say it in 10 words or less, don't say it and be brief and concise and clear. And so the point of this is one word resonates and connects with kids. Oh, I'm this, I'm a good sport, I'm helpful, I'm resourceful, whatever. Unfortunately, what will happen is parents will kind of get away from the brevity of the the point of this and then they'll say if they don't pick from this list they'll say I really like that you're very thoughtful to your brothers and you always make sure that you help them and you hold their hands when they cross the street which all of that is wonderful I'm not downplaying the significance of a child hearing all of these great things but for the purpose of this letter it needs to be one word if possible so I guess some of these are hyphenated so self-controlled, self-assured, whatever, but from this list makes it very concise and that's easier for a child to digest. So you encourage them to continue to write a note each week for three weeks. So this is the first of three notes they will write and that will continue and that will be assigned as homework assignments so it's not like they have to remember. So this week, next week, and the week after they will write a note to their kids. Now here's another thought. Parents will sometimes write their own letter. They script it themselves. They come up with what they want to say themselves. Encourage them to use this letter format here. There's a template here for a reason. Dear Susie, I was just thinking about you. And what I was thinking is you are so word from the list. I love you, mom or dad, grandma, grandpa, whomever's writing the note. Okay. That is all it needs to say. That is effective. It is helpful. It doesn't need to be more than that. It doesn't need to be them pouring their heart out about how wonderful their kid is. This is specifically short, sweet, and to the point, identifying a positive character quality. Why? Because this week is esteem building. So the, and connect that for them. Parents don't get the connection sometimes. We are doing this because we are trying to build self-esteem in our kids. So as you think about what quality you'd like to point out, know that it is helping your child develop a sense of self, self-worth, self-identity, self-concept, self-esteem. Again, in the class I teach at the University of South Florida, we talk about the looking glass self and how identity and worth is developed based on looking glass self. And the short version is that other people act as a looking glass, a small handheld mirror, to us and what we project, what we convey, what we communicate is reflected back to us and we either absorb other people's perceptions of who we are or we refute them. So for example, if looking glass self, you know, if I'm just tired one day, for example, but I seem irritable or cranky. So whatever, non-verbally, verbally, emotionally, whatever, however I'm communicating, that's being reflected back to me. Looking glass self means, you know, an image is reflected and it's directed back in the other way. Same thing with whatever we're projecting out to the world. So if someone had met me for the first time when I was tired and their impression is that I'm a little bit cranky, 
and they somehow reflect that back to me. I have to say, do I accept that as an identity? Am I a cranky person? Am I an irritable person? Or was it situational and I'm refuting that and I'm saying, no, that's not who I am because I know that I'm actually kind and loving and compassionate or whatever. So same thing with kids. As messages are communicated to them from their parents, from their teachers, from their peers, from whomever, they start to absorb those as their identity or they say, no, I disagree. But unfortunately, kids don't have objectivity enough to necessarily say, no, that's not who I am. So they absorb all the messages and sometimes those are negative. So this is combating that negative awareness of who they can be or are sometimes. Okay, so then the last part of that homework assignment, that sentence under the template, is say to the child in the parent's own words after the child reads the note, that's such an important quality. Now, I know it says we should put it on the refrigerator. But because I'm a child-centered, non-directive play therapist, I actually feel that that flies in the face of child-centeredness to a degree. So I encourage parents to say, I wonder where you'd like to put the note. Because we should put it on the fridge is very directive and it's very expectational. And I just feel that it's the child's note. The child should decide where it goes. So that's just me. You can read it verbatim what it says. You can say what I say. But I feel like saying, I wonder where you'd like to put it or you can choose where to put the note that is a little bit more aligned with what we're trying to communicate. So don't expect a response from the child is the important reminder there because I would say at least a quarter of the time parents will come back and say they didn't even acknowledge it. I know that they read it, but they didn't even see it. They didn't, or they didn't even say anything. They didn't even care. They didn't validate, acknowledge, thank me, nothing. That's okay. There's no expectation. It's just, I wanted you to know this is what I think about you. And that's enough. Now, there might be a response, but if there isn't, that's okay. The only thing that I forgot to mention is earlier at the top, it says, mail the first note to the child if possible. That's huge. And yes, I know putting an envelope in a mailbox to come right back to the same mailbox seems silly, but that is kids don't get mail very often and getting mail is a very special thing for children. So it kind of makes it even more exciting that they get to open something in the mail. And that is why parents are encouraged to do that. So, and arguably, even if you don't technically mail it, if it just is brought in with the mail and it looks like it's been mailed with, you know, the return address and the name and the address written on it, et cetera, then I think that would do as well. But some parents will mail it from work to home or they'll have a relative mail it from their house, so you can actually mail it, they can actually mail it if they'd like, but otherwise it needs to look as if it came in the mail. So then finally, they're gonna conduct their play session as normal, and one of them will share their video with you when they meet with you. So there's week seven, short and sweet, and I'm hoping that will give you the opportunity to carry over whatever you didn't have a chance to cover from week six. And I'm looking forward to seeing you again when we meet this week. See you then. Bye.